Hi everyone, welcome back to Chat Shit Get Fit and welcome back to another one-off special where Tom and I are joined by the fantastic Rini McGregor. She's a leading sports dietitian specialising in eating disorders, REDS, the female athlete, athlete's health and performance. And she's just released a brand new book, More Fuel You, and it's brilliant. I've listened to it in audiobook format where Rini narrates it herself and obviously I won't go into it massively in this intro because we do that in the episode, but essentially as we'll talk about a lot today it is that nutrition, whether for health or performance, is very individual and while evidence is really important spending hours and hours and hours working with different populations is what's key to being a successful practitioner something really is it's not just about the book though guys this is chat shit get fit so naturally we start with some pet peeve chaos and ask greeny for her top nutrition based gym pet peeve unfortunately though guys tom absolutely bottles it and the ranking system that you so love well he's gone basic and we are given a it pains me to say it, to be honest, a 1 to 10 ranking scale. Now, if you're as pissed off as I am with this, please look at the show notes, see Tom's Instagram, and bombard him with disappointment. So this catastrophic situation never happens again. Ranking system aside, we also talk about how Rini got into the specialities that she did, taking a much closer look at one of them in eating disorders, where we discuss the controversial situation that is calories on menus in the UK. We also finish with some bonus questions where we discuss some questions as points you guys sent in a few weeks ago. This includes me introducing Rini to the liver king and us discussing the carnivore diet. So yeah, look forward to that. Really hope you enjoy this one. And if you do enjoy this, please make sure you tell all your friends so that they too can enjoy whatever this is. <laughs> Let's get into this week's episode. Good evening. Good evening. How are we doing, Bill? Sensational. Same here. I'm very excited because we are not by ourselves this week, aren't we? We're not by ourselves, no. Welcome, welcome, Rini, to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And also, can I say, thank you for getting my name right. <laughs> You're the only well, two people who've actually got I'm my really... name right in the last six months. Um, so thank you for getting my name right. <laughs> we make a lot of effort we, on this podcast. We, we do a lot of effort. It's a lot of effort and, uh, you know, we're very... We're very cultural, etc. So, you know, we know that things are pronounced differently. I'll be honest with you. I was 50-50 on how your name was going to be pronounced. <laughs> it just so happens we was we was right. That one 50% chance yeah. we was right. <laughs> I, yeah. I actually made it a conscious effort to find out because I was like, right, this is one of those names where you can say, you know, there's two ways you can say this. And I thought, right, I'm going to make sure I get it right because I don't want to get the episode off to a bad start with just completely get it wrong. And, I'm, you know, it's all fun and games. But deep down, you're like, oh, for God's sake, one job, one job. You and me, Bill, are quite lucky in the sense that I'd be very surprised if someone was to misspell our names or, you know, to mispronounce them. Yeah, I know. So simple, isn't it? Oh, isn't <laughs> We've it? got the most bare basic bread and butter names you could think of. Yeah, Bill and Bill Tom. And Tom. Yeah. Exactly. There you go. But, <laughs> Can't go wrong. But, yeah, but the thing is, I'm so nice, I wouldn't have said anything even if you had got it wrong. So. Oh, no, that would have been even worse, wouldn't it? Because people would have known as well. <laughs> that people would even like, awfuler. I know, yeah. I don't Week think awful is a word, but we're going with it. Go with it, yeah, exactly. It's a Tuesday evening, so it's all good. Yeah. We'll let it happen, we'll let it go, we'll let it go. But yeah, guys, we're at, we've got another guest on that. I think in the last six weeks of the podcast, there's only been one where it's just me and Tom. Normally it's the other way around, but hey-ho, we love getting guests on, we love yeah. chatting with other people. We've listened to your complaints, basically, and decided yeah, to get guests yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't actually like us, you just like it when we have people on. You know, you don't listen Don't listen for us, no, apparently not. Um but this week, it's not a chat with PTs like we normally do. It's another one-off special. We've got a really special guest on, Rini McGregor, and we're going to be talking all things about your exciting new book launch, but we're, of course, going to dive into 
your, you know, we're going to take advantage of your expertise and we're going to answer some burning questions as well as getting some, uh, answering some listener sent in questions as well. So, so as we start, well, we normally start our guest episodes with a, with a little bit of an icebreaker, really, but we're going to change it slightly. Okay. It's not a chat with Peter said. So we normally ask for our guest top three gym pet peeves. What we're going to do with you is we just want one. We want your top nutrition based pet peeve. Okay, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be things you see or things maybe you've done in the past. But we are going to rank this now. Tom, I normally leave the ranking scale to Tom. Uh, I'm going to keep society it, scale, but I'm going to keep it bare basics this week, Bill. Okay. Now oh, really? I don't want to be crass this week. Yeah, oh, I'm just okay, going to say right. on a scale of one to ten, you'll one give us your oh, pet peeve, and then me and Bill will rank it on a scale of one to ten. With one, with one being actually that's not too bad at all, and ten being that is god awful. Um, I have a feeling, me and Bill, we're going to go with 10 straight away because, you know, <laughs> being with within this industry, like obviously there is a lot of terrible nutritional myths out there. So I can assume that straight away you're having to kind of fight, like to think there's probably a lot of pet peeves. What is the actual worse? <laughs> oh God, that's so difficult. There are so many annoying yeah. things in this world of nutrition. Um, oh, I've got to think of something that's going to get a good rating. Uh, I'm so, I do apologise, Irene. Normally, our rating system is more, you know, adventurous. But I think Tom's bottled it this week. He's bottled it. You've come on. He's he doesn't know what to do. He's lost himself. Normally, we've got all sorts of all sorts of chaos. I'm trying to be my best behaviour this week. Oh, is it what it is? Oh God, no. yeah, yeah. not for my not for my benefit. It's all good. Yeah, I mean, I've already had a glass and a half of wine. Like you know, there we go. I'm not that well exactly. behaved. Oh, <laughs> so. this is like the first week I've started a podcast with just water and nothing <laughs> stronger. Look, see, look, you know. you've, you've said, trying to be a good boy, isn't it? I used to have like a shot of lead-based paint before the podcast, but yeah, this week is water. <laughs> you know what? That brings back my pet peeve is is probably actually the assumptions people make about me about nutrition. Yeah. I think yeah, there's okay. so. I mean, you know, we could we could probably pull so many between us. There's all sorts of annoying things that people say, and it's like it's not a fact. It's just a myth. But I think for me, it is the assumptions people make. Is when I go into situations, which I've done a lot recently, and I sit down and I order a pizza and a beer and people go, you can't eat that. And I was like, well, of course I can't. <laughs> Why can't I eat that? It's absolutely fine. And so I think that's probably my most, the most annoying thing about my job is people make assumptions based on what they hear about nutrition and nutrition practitioners, full stop. I think that's a really good because even as like personal trainers like me and Tom, we still get that. And I can imagine from you as a you know dietitian and you know really expert in this field, it must be even worse. And I find it insufferable sometimes. Oh, can you have that? Can you, aren't you supposed to be a PT? It's like I'm still a human being. <laughs> I'm still a person. It's just my profession. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, but actually, it also leads into that whole stereotype thing about mm. people being active, having to eat in a certain way in order to be healthy, and it kind of falls into that trap of health actually being about what you eat whereas obviously health is so much more than that you know it's not yeah. just about what we eat there's so many different factors that that make us healthy or, or maybe not as healthy and also it's not it's not something you can it's not something you just monitor on one day or even one week you know you might have a few weeks where technically you're a bit unhealthy but that doesn't make you an unhealthy person and i think that's one of the things i was trying to explain to people I work with is if you you know are on holiday and you choose to have croissants for breakfast every morning and glasses of wine every evening that doesn't make you an unhealthy person because there's something actually quite good about being that liberated with food and not being restrained 
that feeds into your psyche about being healthy. So yeah, I guess that's yeah, that's that's mine is people's assumptions of me and what I eat. I mean, that's probably the mm. most intelligently put pet peeve we've had on the podcast. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> frank there now. I mean, pff, oh, where would you rank that, Tom? Well, I already decided to go with 10 no matter what was going to be. Yeah, correct. <laughs> and uh, do you know what? I'm going to stick with my guns here. I'm going to say 10 and I'll tell to- you why. You know, Bill, you just said that even as PTs, it, it happens with us as well, where people expect us to, and I hate using this term, but expect us to be clean eaters, you know, quotation mm. marks, those that are listening <laughs> to this via audio. But um, like every now and again, my so I'm a manager of a commercial gym. You know, I need to have my lunch breaks during my 24-hour shifts. Um <laughs> And every now and again, my partner will come and drop off some food. And every, every now and again, she'll bring me like a treat. It's got to the point now where actually I have to go and eat my food in the car park. Not because I actually feel ashamed that I'm enjoying a cinnamon swirl or anything like that. But it's just I can no longer deal with the, oh, you're supposed to be a personal trainer and you're eating a cinnamon swirl. You're, you're eating sugar. You know, <laughs> and, uh, you, you see, like they just cannot fathom the idea that, you know, it probably goes beyond labelling food good or bad. But yeah, I'm going to go over 10 straight away. Solid start. Solid start. I don't. I think, that, especially that context, when I think I'll go below 10 because it is very... The cinnamon swirl issue is still very fresh in my mind because that was a few <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> Eating you alive, isn't it? Pond the pond there. Oh, yeah, not literally, but yeah. Yeah not, yeah, not literally, yeah. But as we said, as we said, you know, it's um, there's plenty of myths we could have probably gone to, plenty of pet peeves, nutrition-based pet peeves we could have gone to. Um, we'll yeah. dive more into you then. So we'll move this on to the next part of the show. And... From what I could see, correct me if I'm wrong, you've got 20 plus years experience in this industry. So quite a long time. Um, and I'll rattle off some uh, incredibly sounding titles here. We've got you know, a leading sports dietitian specialising in eating disorders, reds, the female athlete, athlete's health and performance. So that's very impressive. Lots lots to go in there. And that make, makes sense why you've released books then. But what I want to know first is really, if we rewind a little bit, so this is where you are now before, what sort of drew you to that field, especially of all those specialities as well? Because there's a lot of complex sort of issues going on there. Um, so kind of what drew you to those? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. I guess I was a pretty nerdy kid. I liked science. I was pretty good at sport as well. I've always been really sporty, um, but grew up in a fairly constrained environment, shall we say, um, so wasn't really allowed to do a lot of wild things. So it was very quite studious and a bit nerdy. Um, so I've made up for it in subsequent years, so it's fine. But um, I, so I, I kind of always knew that I was going to, I wanted to do something that made a difference to people. I didn't want to just sort of understand the science and then not do anything with it. I wanted it to be something I could help people with. But I didn't want to be a doctor. I was really adamant. I was quite rebellious will be a nerd. I was quite rebellious and, you know, in Indian families, it's kind of almost accepted that you're going to be a doctor or a dentist or an optician or an engineer, an accountant. And I didn't want to be any of those things. So, um, much to my parents' displeasure, but, um, <laughs> I, so I did actually did a biochemistry degree first because I just wanted to sort of get a good grounding and I loved it. I really loved understanding. I still do to this day. It, it still is the bit about my job that I love the most, which is understanding what is going on internally within the body, how the body sort of fits together and, and works and and how what we do externally can impact that and change that sort of balance and equilibrium that is so important. So I did that and kind of knew that I didn't want to be in the lab. So I ended up being encouraged by a mentor at uni to 
go into dietetics, which I did. Um, and a lot of people don't always realize, but dietetics is quite similar to being a junior doctor in that when you qualify as a dietitian, you then have to go through several years of rotations to specialize. So I sort of, you do 18 months of pretty much everything. Like literally I was covering about 20 wards in a teaching hospital in London um, from geriatrics to gastroenterology to diabetes to then outpatient clinics. Very, very, very busy job when you first graduate. And then you, you slowly specialize. And by the time I had got to sort of seven years in the NHS, I was specializing in basically adolescent um, eating disorders. That was my kind of area I was specializing in. So you know, it kind of, I've, I've, I've had a lot of grounding, a lot of experience working in lots of different um, specialities and working with lots of multidisciplinary teams. So lots of kind of, you know, uh, I suppose experience that you can't really get unless you go down that path. Like, you know, it's not something you can regenerate or try and gain through social media or anything. You have to be there actually working on it to understand it. Mm. But I'd got to that point where I was feeling a little bit, again, I use the word constrained, um, getting the picture now of the fact that I don't like feeling trapped. But um, I got to the point where I sort of started to feel like I couldn't be the practitioner I wanted to be in the NHS just because of the funding and the time and the budgets. So I decided to leave the NHS at this point and um, I did another degree. So this was my third degree where I specialized in applied sports nutrition because I'd always been sporty. I was doing a load of running and the, my, a lot of my club team members were sort of asking me loads of questions. And I was like, well, I could answer them, but I want to, I want to understand again. I want to make sure I get it right and, you know, and, and give the right information. So I think what led me to where I am now is that I had this really good clinical grounding. And then I've got that sort of very scientific biochemical mindset and then you add the sort of sports physiology and the sports nutrition on top of that and actually you get a pretty good skill set in terms of being able to not only understand how the human body works but also how to provide advice in a practical manner that people can understand so it's not just numbers and figures it's actually this is what you need to do in a way that you can understand it so that people are not getting stressed and, and worried about it so and and kind of specializing in the whole eating disorders and reds has come really just through opportunity I suppose and I never thought I'd end up in this field ever I'll be honest it wasn't something that I had decided was going to be my passion but when I moved into the sports nutrition world and the very high performance world it became clear and clearer and clearer to me that athletes were really struggling with mm. relationships with food, body, exercise, you know, overtraining. And nobody was managing this. Nobody was monitoring this. Nobody was providing them with any support. And I was, kind of became that person that did understand it and could support them and help them so they could stay within their sport, but also start to develop a better relationship with their selves and their bodies. Um, so it kind of came to me, I guess, in the sense that athletes were coming from all sorts of different backgrounds and different sports and suddenly I became known as the person that oh if you've got that problem go to go to Rini McGregor and that's kind of how it started I suppose and I really enjoy it it's incredibly challenging like 
I can never really explain to anyone some of the things that we see and hear in our clinic. Like it's can be pretty distressing mm. who you're working with and, and what they're going through. And watching anybody go through particularly a clinical eating disorder, how disabling that is from a mental health point of view, but also from a physical point because of the consequences that happen is it's really distressing and really hard work. Um, but equally, when you can provide that person with the insight into why they have those behaviors and then help them to break down those behaviors and reestablish new, more helpful behaviors and, and a better relationship with not just themselves, but also their, their bodies and, and food, it's so rewarding. And yeah. I guess, I suppose if we think about life, like life is like that, isn't it? It's not, it's not all roses. It's constantly changing. Nothing's ever the same. I was talking to my daughter earlier and I said to her, you know, life is going to constantly throw curveballs at you. And the people that survive are the ones that learn to navigate those curveballs and not let them, you know, impact them or define what they are. It's about kind of, you know, managing that. And I suppose that's that's kind of quite a lot of what we teach the people we work with as well is that eating's not the issue. Eating's just the symptom of the underlying yeah. problem. Um, so I guess that's where I ended up. And I suppose being a female and being a female athlete in my, you know, myself in, I do a lot of running and have got some pretty decent achievements under my belt from a running point of view. And people were looking up to me and I'm Asian. So, you know, like very few Indian women I've ever seen running, let alone running these crazy races that I do. Um, and I think I, without even realizing I've become this sort of role model mentor to, to women and I want women to feel empowered to be able to go out there and do what makes them happy and not feel like they can't because they have periods or because they're told they're too small or they're told they're not strong enough. I want women to feel empowered by actually if you understand your body and if you learn to work with your body, you can do what you want to do. You know, I, I'm not talking about comparing yourself to a male athlete. Like we're, we're different. Men and women are different. And I think there are certain things that women are better at and there are certain things men are going to be better at. And I'm okay with that. I don't need to compete from that point of view. But I think being able to give women that empowerment that they don't have to constantly be proving themselves but they're enough as they are and giving them the tools to to be the best versions of self has, has definitely been probably my passion now for, for a lot of years maybe because i've got two daughters and i think you want to you know you want to get them to feel like they can do anything in the world um so so yeah i guess it, i've sort of fallen into where i am now i never People always ask me that question, how did you get to where you are and, and how, you know, how come you're so successful? And I hate that word successful because I don't, I don't feel comfortable saying it because I don't think I'm successful. I just think I'm, I like my job and I'm passionate and I'm very, very empathetic. So really it's, it's the way in which I package up my advice that I think gets the results. I think it's not that I've got excessive amounts of knowledge that people don't have i think it's more the way i deliver it that people find helpful i guess 
Mm. I think that's the key, isn't it, for most people in this industry, whether it's like the nutrition side or just the training side, it's the way you package it and deliver the yeah. information. Like the feed, some of the feedback we get on this podcast, for example, is on some of our episodes, we're a bit chaotic, you could say. We 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 read some science, but we don't just read the science for an hour. Yeah. We sort of give it out in a, in a in a fun way, you could say. Like, you know, more. And I think that's what's important, the way you package what you know and how you deliver it is why mm. how you're perceived as successful or not, as you, as you said, yeah. yeah. I think empathy goes a hell of a long way as well, you know, particularly in regards to, and this goes for both, you know, in regards to exercise, training, physical activity and nutrition, of course, as well, is that there are so many kind of like perceived and artificial barriers that are placed in front of it. So, yeah, I do think it's important to be, you know, empathetic as well. I mean, me and Bill are very much movement optimists. So kind of like on the, it sounds like you're on that level in regards to like the nutrition spectrum as well. So, you know, we're, yeah, we're happy to hear that. It's, particularly in regards to eating disorders, it's absolutely terrible how general public kind of react to it anyway, particularly in like a physically active setting as well. So, no, uh, it is one thing that we can, yeah, definitely do it more and that is empathy. Touching on the eating disorder stuff, I was going to ask this question later, but I think it would probably be appropriate to talk about it now. Is I've done a video on it quite recently. This was the whole thing of the recent uh, implementation of the whole calories on menus thing. I would love to know what sort of your thoughts mm. are and maybe your experience. Because my opinion, I mean, obviously we talk about eating disorders. My opinion is I think it's going to cause more harm than good. And yeah. I won't rattle off everything, but what, what would you say your thoughts are on it? Yeah, and I, you know, I was in a lot of the conversations with Public Health England and the Department of Health when they were trying to put this legislation through and I was like you've got no evidence it's going to work why are you doing yeah. it it's, I think for me it comes back down to you know we're talking about science there's no evidence it works we've had calories on food labeling for a number of yeah. years it supermarkets for years <laughs> yeah it's not changed anything so why do we think it's going to change anything and I think for me not only is it dangerous in 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 the sense that it's making life more complicated for those who are already struggling to eat out. But actually, it takes a lot of the fun and enjoyment out for people like us who don't have eating issues. But actually, I don't want to see calories on labels, uh, on menus. I don't I don't want to know. I don't. I have no design. No. When I go out for food, I go out for food for the occasion of eating. And I want to be able to enjoy that without... A big number on the menu almost trying to shame you into what you're eating totally, exactly and and it's not even usually about me it's just i just know that the people i might be going out with will struggle with it or will make yeah. a comment or i remember i was talking to we were out, we went out for dinner actually last thursday to celebrate um the book and it was myself my partner and and two of our friends and we went to we went we chose this really lovely Vietnamese place near us and because it's small we don't have calories on menus and it and it was lovely and you could just choose and and, and everything, but my friend Nick he was like oh yeah we went where he said they went they went somewhere and he's like and my mum didn't eat what she wanted to because she saw the calories and he was thinking you know this is this is a woman probably in her seventies who's denying herself something because there's a number now whereas. If you think about it, six months ago, we were all eating those things and mm. we didn't know, but actually it didn't spoil the occasion. So for me, I think it's going to ruin the enjoyment of food for the general population. But also my concern is, is we're actually setting up more poor behavior because the problem that I think it's going to create is if somebody knows they're going out for food because it's been decided they're going out for food, Unfortunately, whether that that this person doesn't have to be somebody who's got any sort of, we know that healthy individuals 
most of us have got some sort of weird relationship with worrying about our bodies and, and food because of the mm. world we live in. So my worry is that they will restrict during the day to be able to allow themselves to eat that that meal because they want to enjoy it and they don't want to be thinking about it, they don't want to be worried about it. And of course, that then sets them up to fail the next day because mm. then you know we know that if you don't provide your body with that regular food intake, you tend to get more changes to your insulin release, which then does make you more hungry the next day. And if you then deny that, you set yourself up to fail from, you know, and you end up eating to excess. So from my point of view, I think we are definitely going to cause a lot more problems. And what frustrates me about this whole calories on menus is pass this legislation with no evidence that it's going to work. Yeah. And yet where there is evidence that a food bill could work in terms of you know, removing um, junk food and the three for two and all those sort of issues, they've gone, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that because, yeah. you know, we need to carry that on because of the cost of living. So they're basically admitting, the government is admitting that these three for two offers and the junk food that we put out there is cheaper. So let's encourage that so we don't affect the cost of living. And that has really wound me up massively. Mm. Um I mean, I never had any confidence in the government, but actually having been in some of these meetings, I'm I mean, frustrated. I believe it's uh, Alan Flanagan, uh, the nutritional advocate who spoke really? about it before, but he has said how like there's too much focus on the personal responsibility of when it comes to, well, nutrition in general. And in that regard, like I don't think calories on menus are kind of, going to do anything in regards to like a public health setting especially when we kind of live in a nutritionally um we're kind of affected by various socioeconomic factors you know we do live in like a highly obesogenic promoting environment with as you just said uh you know in regards to like two for two for one offers always at two three or whatever it is you know and all these different kind of offers etc and you get you know food swamps where it's just like the local, the, the local place, the, the most obvious place to get food from would be like your fast food, fast food restaurant, etc. Access to fresh fruit and vegetables, etc. It's highly multifactorial, and I don't think just putting a number on the menu is going to do anything. I mean, I'll, to be honest with you, I'm I'm neutral in regards to calories on menus. Um, I don't like the idea of it being very overt. Um, if it was something like a downloadable PDF for those that are interested fair enough but i don't think it should be overtly on menus but i do think the biggest offense is assuming that it's going to kind of like automatically people are going to go oh calories are thin now that's gonna you know solve public health i think what's been overlooked here is the complexity of what obesity is yeah mm-hmm. you know in the sense that when you're talking about obesity i'm not talking about people who are overweight when you're talking about obesity get to that point where they are significantly clinically morbidly obese where it's problematic to their health Hmm. that is not as simple as calories in and calories out that is a very complex psychosocial issue and getting somebody to reduce their energy intake is not going to be the solution to that problem now if we're talking about population of individuals that are overweight again we have quite a lot of good evidence to suggest that being overweight per se doesn't necessarily make you an unhealthy or an unfit person because you can be overweight, but as long as you are still doing healthy behaviours in terms of lifestyle, then your health metrics can be... You can be metabolically healthy. 
yeah so i think so i think this is this is what uh, this is what upsets me the most about this is that we've overlooked the fact that the people they're trying to affect by this legislation are individuals that are not in a place that they're going to be able to use that information to their benefit because they have too many other issues going on. In the same way, while I'm working on the other end of the spectrum with people who have restrictive eating disorders, you know, it's not a choice. It's not something that they are choosing to do. It's a behavior they feel they need to maintain in order to provide themselves with this false sense of security that they're safe. That's why people end up restricting their intake. It's a way of avoiding emotional risk. And it's the same with the opposite end when you have binge eating or you have obesity, you know, binge eating that can, res- that can result in obesity to a certain degree is it's a psychological condition. Again, a method of trying to avoid emotional risk. But in this case, they tend to eat to excess in order yeah. to almost stuff down their problems or not need to not want to feel them in that moment. So I think that's that's where it's so frustrating because the government don't want to hear the facts. They don't want to understand what an eating disorder is. They don't want to listen to the fact that actually some of the decisions they have made in the last two or three years, particularly around the pandemic, have led to more issues with mental health than we've ever had before. And, you know, if you if you need any evidence to suggest that an eating disorder is not just about the way we look, it's not just about calories in, calories out, you look at the fact that the pandemic was the perfect environment, that perfect psychosocial space created and generated this huge increase in prevalence we're seeing of eating disorders and mental health issues that we have now. So, but they don't want to see any of that. And it's very frustrating when you're working in this field because it's so clear that actually it's not just a, a simple solution. But what they've done is a tick box. That's what oh, they yeah. do. You know, Massive it's more than just personal responsibility at the end of the day. God, I must be so frustrated that. I mean, to be actually sitting in those meetings with people just saying stuff that's just literally nonsense. I mean, I don't... Yeah. Um, I don't even want to begin to fathom the infuriated <laughs> you would have been because of that. Like, oh god! But yeah, I mean, it's frustrating for us where whenever we do like a, a nutrition episode or we talk about obesity or, in fact, one of our very first episodes, we spoke about how you can actually be metabolically healthy despite your weight. We have taken some weight neutral approaches on topics, and we have had a lot of pushback in regards to that when it comes to feedback and. Um, yeah, it is frustrating. There's another way to put it. It's, it's really frustrating. Yeah. I think I think one of the things I, I want people to understand is that in any aspect of your life, all human behavior generally has a purpose, whatever yeah. that behavior is. And generally speaking, that behavior in most cases is going to be some form of protection. So that behavior might not be healthy. Like, you know, like if we take something completely different, take, move away from nutrition, and, and all those things but look at something like people who are fearful of commitment for example their behaviors when they meet someone or potentially set up and want to get into a relationship or whatever their behaviors will almost be sabotaging that relationship from ever occurring because really the behavior there is protection because the reality is they don't want to get hurt they're so fearful of allowing that that commitment to happen and the, the potential rejection they might have. And there's lots of potentials, lots of perceptions. And, you know, so I always find it fascinating, again, as somebody who 
unfortunately has been on the on the other side of receiving you know racism and and bullying and and all sorts yes i can get angry yes i can get feel injustice yes i can shout about it or whatever but what does that actually do it does nothing apart mm. from cause me more pain and suffering so actually by taking a step back and kind of going okay well it's not right it shouldn't be happening however there's going to be purpose that person's behavior that's why they're behaving in that way towards me whatever that might be whether that's threat whether that's not understanding me whatever it might be but by being able to understand that all human behavior has a purpose i think you can start to be a little bit more accepting of the world we live in um because i mean I, you know none of us are perfect i had my moments where i absolutely react and fly off the handle and then you know it was like talking to my partner earlier going i owe you an apology you know and he's like what for and i'm like well i overreacted in that moment because i was tired and i was stressed and i've been worried about the book and i've got this ridiculous race coming up and i'm stressing out about that like you know like there were there when i'm under threat i'm more likely to react and again understanding that self-awareness piece of i know that i'm at my worst when you can almost then preempt that and and learn to I suppose learn to parent yourself a little bit in a in a mm. weird way. Hide in the other room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. An interesting point you made there, Rinya, was about how like understanding that people's behaviour and stuff there's, there's a purpose behind it. Like Tom, remember we spoke the other week. I forgot. What it was. You know, we talk about straw man a lot when someone straw mans you, for example. What was it you said? Someone said the opposite. This when they when someone has an argument with them, even if they yeah. know, even if they think they're right, they will sit back and they'll try to understand. They'll try to convince them, like see their argument. So a steel man argument where actually man, you yeah. take a step back and you go, okay, why do they believe this? Can I actually kind of understand why they are, mm. they have the the viewpoint they have or if they're behaving the way they do? And then from there, you kind of get like a better understanding. Even if you disagree with it, you're at least taking a step back and you, once again, you can be a bit more empathetic as to why they are behaving the way they are or why they have the belief system they have. Then you can tear it down afterwards. <laughs> yeah. yeah, then you can tear that yeah. up. Yeah, well, I think it's better than just immediately turn, turn around and go, "No, you're wrong. Shut up," because that doesn't get you anywhere. That just causes a more hostile environment, and then nothing happens apart from both sides get emotional, um, and then yeah, nothing really good comes from it. So, <laughs> I think I always say that I feel like I mean I'm probably wrong here, and the psychologist probably correct me, but I always think from what I see, there seems to be two types of people generally: individuals that take blame for everything but will almost internalize it and punish themselves and criticize themselves and human beings that can take no responsibility for anything and project it onto everybody else it's everybody else's fault and i think the problem is and you have these two people in the same situation together that probably is probably the most unhealthy yeah type of- it's like a volatile combination <laughs> yeah yeah god yeah Really, so we've kind of talked about how you know, you're experiencing the industry. What I want to kind of know now is, over the 20 plus years you've been in it, what would you say has been the biggest shift you've noticed, good or bad, whether that's within yourself or maybe within the industry itself? What's the one thing that stuck out to you gone, wow, that has changed so much over this last 20 plus years? Um, mm, good question. I think the biggest change I've seen, and it's not a good change, is never before have I known food to be so much associated with your identity 
Mm. Yeah. Do you know what? Uh, that's that's really something we've mentioned before, how almost you've, yeah. you've got nutritional tribes now as well. Oh, so it's yeah. almost like your personality can now be ketogenic or your personality can now be the, if it fits your macros. Yeah, it's really tribalistic. I know obviously you mean like a deeper meaning in that, but it's something we've kind of touched upon very lightly before. Yeah, totally. I just, I feel like it comes, I, I, I genuinely think we live in a world now more so than ever before. And obviously, you know, I'm, I qualified pre-social media, so feel very fortunate that had amount of time in my adulthood where I didn't have any social media and ignorance is absolutely bliss I think the good days yeah (laughs) yeah and I think social media has its has its opportunities and and has its place but fundamentally is a very very toxic environment and yeah what it does is that even individuals that probably have come from very grounded backgrounds and and you know good family structure and there's been no real adversity in their life as soon as they're introduced to social media it's almost like this little kind of switch gets turned on about a sense of unworthiness because you're constantly comparing and you're seeing what everybody else is doing and then you feel like you have to it's almost like you're in a competition 24-7. Like everybody's constantly trying to shout louder about their achievements and how adventurous they are and, and how fit they are and, and what they eat and how healthy they are. real. <laughs> totally. And it really winds me up. Even some of my friends I've almost had to take a step back from because I'm like, but that's not who you are. I know who you are and that's not real. So why are you doing that? Like... I find it really, and, and, and a lot of it's to be elevated, you know, to get that that sense of that sort of attaining of worth that they and that validation. So I think for me, this, I always worry when I see Instagram accounts that are just food, you know, or people always posting what they eat. And because I just think that tells me so much about that person. I think, you know, like, I'm not saying you should never post your food. I'm not saying that, I mean, I, you know, every now and again, I will post a picture of but when it's associated with their identity almost. But it's when it's all the time, you know? Yeah. And mm. it's like, well, actually, food is that much of your focus. That's a bit of a concern because that isn't okay. And hyper vigilant towards food almost. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this kind of I think what they're trying to do is 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 exactly that, is that kind of I want you to know this is the type of person I am. You know, I'm yeah. a, I'm a green mm-hmm. smoothie kind of person, or I'm a Buddha bowl kind of person, or I have a matcha tea, or whatever it might be. God help me, I have no idea. I'm a <laughs> I'm a Rioja kind of girl, but you know, I have I, I, ju- I just think it's it's interesting because I think that's probably the biggest thing I have seen is this this link to your identity rather than the enjoyment of food. There doesn't seem to be as much enjoyment of food, and I think that's really sad personally. Yeah. Yeah, it's something we spoke about quite a few times. And oh, that when you were talking about that, all I was thinking of the amount of profiles I've seen on Instagram. Well, in the bio, they will say what diet diet X Y Z they are, and it's almost like yeah. badge of honor. It's like it's like why does anyone really care what like? I mean, if you just it's almost to like a what, part just, of their identity, isn't it? It's really weird. No, I'm, yeah. no, I'm really that. But like, if you, you you decide what you want to do for your yeah. own reasons, but then when you t- you said when you tell people, it's almost like hey, look at me. Oh wow, yeah, I'm be- I'm better than you almost. And it's like well, why why are you better than me? <laughs> it, it it is that, and I think you know. I know we're going to talk about it and I'm not trying to plug it, but I think that's what, <laughs> what 
to write the book was I wanted people to not need, I suppose I wanted to give people permission to yeah. be themselves, to respond to their own internal cues, to to not feel like they have to follow a trend or a tribe, but actually understand their own bodies and work yeah. out what works for them. And, and what I hope people, well, what I've always said this, that when people finish reading the book, what I hope they leave with is, firstly, that Rini McGregor cares about them because that's why this book's been written, but also that, you know, that individual is, they feel like I'm relevant. doesn't matter hmm. what, what food way yeah. approach I eat, the way I eat. It doesn't matter what approach I have. I'm We're not judging you on what your food choices are. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. And you don't and have I, to be validated via your food choices. Yeah, totally. I just, yeah, I, I think I think that's it. I think I just I do feel, I do feel really sad that we have become the population we've become, and our relationship with food has become so skewed. And people have this very. There's so many misconceptions as we, you know, we go full circle to where we started. There were so many misconceptions about what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. And in reality, we all know from the work we do, there's no right or wrong as such. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, you must eat this and you mustn't eat that. Yeah, there are things we should eat more of and there are things we should probably eat a bit less of. But nothing's off the cards. Like one of the sort of most common conversations I have in clinic is, but nowhere is it written that we should never eat sugar. Nowhere. You know, if you look at the guidelines, it doesn't say you should never have sugar. It says it should be the smallest contribution to your overall intake. But yeah, but again, that's that's a guideline for the general population. If you're an athlete or you're somebody who's physically very active, or there may be some other metabolic condition going on, you might need a different approach. You might need to have a bit more sugar in your diet. You might need yeah. to top up your energy and I, I think and I think that's that's what I want people to understand is that we have guidelines but that doesn't make them fact doesn't make them rules we have to stick to um yeah I think there are just so many rules there seem to be so many food rules so many there's a framework we can work with here it's not this dichotomous you, you have this or no you cannot have this you've already alluded to there Really, so we'll go on to it anyway. We'll move through onto, on, onto your book. So we've we've talked about your experience, all the stuff you've done, and very recently, um, you've released a brand new book called More Fuel You. Now you've kind of already spoke about how it's kind of come about, but how long has how long has this process been going for? Has it been something on the cards for a while? Because you've done other books as well, haven't you? This is not your first book. Yeah, no, this is my fifth book, but this is there's been a big gap. I wrote four books quite quickly, and then I've had five years out from writing books, and um. The last book I wrote prior to this one was Orthorexia, Unhealthy Eating Goes Bad. And that was really, really difficult to write because it was during the time when my marriage was breaking down. I was going through a divorce. I was having to restart my life. And it was it was a really difficult time. And I think it was such a hard process. And also the book's done very well and everybody loved it. And I put all myself into it. But it took so much out of me that I was like, I, I need a break from writing books I'd written you know four books in two years and I was pretty knackered if I'm honest with everything else that was going on I'd also been to Rio during that time so yeah. it had been busy um and this book came about because and and it's the same with all my books I've never approached a publishing company they've always approached me um and asked me to write the book and 
this book came out because Vertebrate Publishing said, look, we want to write a book, a book about nutrition. We want to write a book that's not been written before. We don't want to write a book about what you should do or how you should do it. We actually want to write a book about the myths around nutrition and actually how to eat properly and how there's no one size fits all. Mm. And we think you're the person that can write this book. And um, and I was, I said, okay, can I go away and think about it? Because I need to, I need to work out if it's the right time for me and, and everything else. And it didn't take me that long. Like <laughs> I came back and spoke to my partner, and he's like, you know, it's the book you want to write. And I was like, yeah, it is the book I want to write. It's the book I wanted to write all the time. So, so we started the process back last August, and first draft went in. I think like middle of September um, and at this point I'll be honest it was probably just a brain dump it honestly <laughs> was just <All> you... <laughs> everything just you know and it needed Agent. proper restructuring yeah. and it needed you know so I got I actually was very very lucky one of my very close friends is, is a very good editor and writer and very good with sports science and and, and science generally so she technically edited it for me um and kind of gave it the structure that it now has um, and added titles that she says, you need to write about this a bit more and write about this a bit more. And, you know, so the, so the words, they're all my words, but it was it was good to get that. that structure. Hmm. And as we were going through the process, you know, you go, you hand it in, you bring it back, you hand it in, you put it back. Again, again, I kept saying to Vertebrate, there's a bit I need to write in this that we haven't discussed, but I really want to write it. And they're like, Sure, what, what, what is it you'd like to write about? I said, in all the research I've done for this book, the thing that is screaming out aloud to me is that most sports science is done on white male trained athletes. Mm. And really interesting point. there are many athletes out there that are not white male trained athletes. You know, we have females, we have older athletes, we have people of different... Um, groups, minority groups. We have people with with chronic illnesses. We have so many different individuals, and again, and populations. Yeah, exactly. And everybody is trying to fit the same mold. But should we be doing that? Should mm. we be saying that actually you should eat a high protein diet if actually you come from an Asian background where actually maybe you don't eat a massively high protein diet? You've not been brought up on a high protein diet. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Like it's like yeah. yeah. Is your gut biome going to be okay with that? And they looked at me and they were like, that's brilliant. And then we almost discussed it as a second book. And then we were like, no, we can put it in this book. So we, you know, we've got a part one and a part two, with part one being very much explaining how the body works, including the psychology of food and, and why we choose the food we choose and the impact of social media and how it's been having having an effect on us. And also what can go wrong in the di in, in in our bodies if we don't get it right. And then the second part of the book is kind of focusing on these population groups that are often overlooked. So there's a whole section on females and going through the lifespan of a female. So looking at menstrual health, perimenopause, menopause, pregnancy, breastfeeding. And then there's a whole section on what we call the master's athlete. So once you start getting older, like how do you maintain that performance edge? How do you get the recovery in? Do you need to change your nutrition? What are the nutrients you need to think about? And then the final population group we've looked at is what we call the individual pop population group, which is individuals that come from different backgrounds and may have chronic illnesses, the disability, 
in uh, athletes out there that you know struggle with all sorts of other complications as well as trying to perform and get their nutrition right. So I think I feel really grateful that vertebrate have have allowed me to be in, so involved in 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 this book. It, it is it is very much my my story to tell if you want if yeah. you want to call it that and and with that there's quite a lot of me in this book like I don't often talk about my relationship with food or my relationship with sport but I have done in in the book so there's quite a lot of me in there but also the work I do so we've got case studies on the pizza people I've worked with and and what we've learned from working with these individuals so I really hope people enjoy it it's not your straightforward textbook um, and it's mm-hmm. definitely not a you know it's not a, a fiction romance story or anything like that but it's definitely somewhere <laughs> in the middle i hope where people yeah. will take away a lot and keep going back to it and go, oh, yeah i remember reading that let me go back and and read that again yeah i think it definitely will i mean i was listening to it today and there's a couple of things i pulled out and i want to mention one that links really well to something you just said was that a lot of the textbooks as you will quote what you call it there the populations that it's done on because I, I, I think something you said in the book was humans are not textbooks being aware of our individuality yeah. of our bodies and lifestyle and i think a lot of trainers especially online fall guilty of this is they treat humans like textbooks they will look at research papers not really know what the population is and they'll assume that that paper is relevant to the entire world's population it will say right you must eat this much protein you must eat this much carbs you must have this many calories for this activity level for this duration whatever um and I think that's really, really good thing. You've broke your book down into those different parts because we're not, we're not all the same. Humans are not, as you put it, humans are not textbooks. Uh, and I think people sometimes, while evidence is good, I think sometimes people get a bit, they go too in on it without understanding it really. Um, and yeah, they just treat everyone like a textbook. And I think that's again going back to com- uh, what we spoke about a little bit earlier, a comment I made earlier in the sense that the reason why I can say that is, yes, I use evidence. Of course I do. I read all the papers and all my my practice is based on the science that is out there. But it's mm. that experience as well, isn't it? It's mm. that working with individuals day after day after day, no matter what you're doing, whether you're a personal trainer, whether you're a, a dietitian, whether you're working with whatever level you're working with, it's that hands-on experience day after day, understanding humans are different. Mm reminding us of, oh, I had this situation previously and that worked really well and it's not quite the data, but I could extract yeah. from that. And that's real life. That is what makes you a good practitioner. And I guess some of my frustration going back to social media is I see every day newly graduated dietitians, nutritionists setting themselves up on Instagram with their online businesses, online clinics, and they've not done any of the actual grafting. They've not done the, I'm not saying you have to go and spend as much time as I have, but you know they haven't done the five years in the NHS yeah. that actually makes you really good at your job. They haven't done the, let's work with as many different types of people as we can, you know, and they just set themselves up as experts. And the frustrating thing about these this group of individuals is that they are professionals. They do have the the professional qualification as such but they don't have the experience. And I think that's what I wanted to bring to this book was real life and real people and not just, yeah, okay, we can all we can all regurgitate the theory, all of us, 
you know, we can all find what we need to find and regurgitate it, but that doesn't mean it's right. There's always going to be outliers and there's always going to be different populations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's a really, really good point, actually. Something else I want to touch on, speaking of social media, uh, another good thing in the books that I pulled out was, is you spoke a little bit about how energy in versus energy out is flawed. And this is important mm-hmm. because this goes back to that whole individual thing is that you get loads of, not, all, not even PTs, you get like Jen Pop will normally say this, I'll oh, just, you know, eat less, move more, you know, that sort of stuff. It's just simple of just eat yeah. less calories, you know, just energy balance. Excuse energy balance, my says, language energy- here, but, you know, oh, it, all, it begins and ends with a calorie fucking deficit. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. this is something we saw the time. But you, I remember you, you spoke about it saying how we've got to be aware of, you know, foods are treated differently by the body. Not all food is exactly the same. Um, mm. And I think you sort of, I mean, you can go to it now, but you kind of summarize with what seems to be the most effective thing is having small changes made. Um, and they tend to be bigger results instead of going into this savage calorie deficit that people think is going to save the day. Uh, that doesn't normally work. Just to clarify, we're not denying thermodynamics here. Yeah, we, we, yeah that is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. just because before we get straw manned, you know, we're not, yeah, yeah. but it's a lot more complicated than that. I think that's it. And that, that you'll, that's it. It is incredibly complicated. It is not as simple. I think what we're trying to say is it's not as simple as calories in, calories out. Mm. And yet that is the message that is put out there all the time. You know, move more, eat less, move more, eat less. And I think it goes back to this this complex series of chemical reactions that are going on internally in our body all the time. It's the stuff that, again, makes me a nerd, but the stuff that I love. And, you know, these all interact. And what happens is if you put your body into a huge deficit, either by moving way too much and not increasing your intake or by dropping your calories too much and still moving too much, if you create too big a deficit, while you may see initial results to start with, the problem is it's not sustainable and it's not maintained by the body because the body sees it as a threat and will then fundamentally go into compensatory behaviour. So it will start to slow down your metabolism. It will start to shut down some biological processes that are going on inside your body and fundamentally probably make it even harder for you to lose weight. And what we saw from the the thermo, like the studies, especially the sort of physiological studies that I looked into when I was writing the book, the, there was a massive study done and, and the, the conclusion of that was that in reality, what you need to do is, like we said, you make these very small changes. You probably only need a deficit of about 100 calories a day in order to get the body to work really, really well. Mm. But the other thing to remember is exercise makes us hungry, right? So actually when we exercise, we don't lose weight because we exercise. We What exercise does do is it helps us to build lean muscle mass, but it will only help us to be, build lean muscle mass if we're not creating these massive deficits. So Actually, it's the, the lean muscle mass that keeps us metabolically active that actually then makes us lose weight in the long term and 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 probably you know makes us leaner. But in order to do that, you can't be in these huge deficits. So it's this very fine sort of yeah, it's a very fine control of, of it all. And and find problem- something that's sustainable then. Totally, yeah. and, it should the- almost almost be effortless in a sense that you don't even realise that you're in a deficit. Absolutely. It's simple as like you could almost not change your your energy intake and just start walking to work every day. You know, something as simple as that would mm. be enough to start seeing change. Mm. But the difference is it wouldn't be your transformation. It wouldn't be your 12 weeks and you've got a bikini body. It wouldn't mm. be that. And I guess 
Somebody commented on social on Instagram today about they did a really lovely review of my book. I didn't ask them to. I didn't even know who they are. And um, the comment that really sort of I really was really happy about it, it really resonated with me was this book really helps you understand how to fuel your body for performance. And it's not about the aesthetic. It's not about what we're being sold all the time. It's actually about how to look after yourself. And that is exactly what I wanted people to take away from from this book. Mm. So yeah, if you want to have a bikini body in 12 weeks, don't read my book because you're not going to get that. But if you want to live sustainably and enjoy life and you know, learn how to respond to your body and your body's needs, then yeah, read my book because it will help you to do that. So yeah, it's, I think it's, it, again, it's probably one of those, you know, you asked me earlier, what's your, one of your biggest peeves? It probably is that one is another one up yeah. there. The calories in, calories out. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a nightmare, isn't it? We, we've now, we've now solved all the world's problems with a calorie deficit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Speaking of other things that are, that are problems, uh, Rini, so you've mentioned a few times you've worked with numerous clients over the years, okay? Wide range, you set that, you know, you had a really good foundation working, you know, sort of, you want to call it cliche, boots on the ground sort of thing, working in the NHS. Mm. Um, what I want to know, is there is there a certain problem that has stuck out time after time after time working? With, I know we've said people are very individual, but is it yeah, something but- that's been quite similar in terms of across, across a wide range of people you've noticed? I think in the last... 12 years of working in sport particularly and in this sort of more sporting population the the big thing the big problem i see is actually people underfueling rather than overfueling you know people not appreciating just how much food you need to really get the results and the performance you want especially carbs i've found as well yeah and and i i i put the the aesthetic as- aspect in there too because again i see so many I was going to say females, but actually it's males and females who assume, as we just said, if they cut their calories, they're going to get that that lean look or whatever it is they're, going to, they're looking for. And, you know, I, I work with two big um, ballet companies in, 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 this, in this country, and it's been really fascinating. I've, I've got a number of case studies now within, within the dancers where – in this case, it was female athletes who felt very much the need in order to achieve the aesthetic that is often associated with ballet. They needed to fundamentally eat very little and do loads and loads and loads of exercise. That got them into a right mess. And, you know, it's not been easy. It's taken a long time. But over the over the nine to 12 months that I've been working with them, I, I went in last week, actually, and um, caught up with a couple of them. And they were all like, they're like, I can't believe, I know you said it, I can't believe I'm eating so much more, but I'm actually getting the body composition goals that I am that I need to, but I'm eating like double the amount I used to. And I was mm. like, it's amazing, isn't it, how the human body works? But mm. that's, I think for me, that's the biggest problem is that people don't realize that actually we're quite, we need a lot of energy to survive as human beings. And again, it's I think it's that that message that's been piped out there for so long. Move more, eat, you know, eat less, move more, eat less. And it's like actually that that is not the answer. 
to the problems. That's almost the problem starter to a certain degree. I've definitely noticed it hugely, especially, so I, I do quite a bit of work in a, in a CrossFit gym and the amount, that, I mean, that is a very intense level of activity, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely smashes like your glycogen levels and stuff, but people will still not eat. And I feel like the amount of times that people, they'll come and say, oh, you know, haven't eaten much mm. time. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> we have this, and it's it, it becomes really difficult to kind of. Cause you, you have to so you have to be empathetic. It's not a case of oh, you know, you're a fucking idiot eating bread. You know, you can't you can't just turn around and say that to someone. But it's it's I've noticed it hugely, and I think it's you'd think it's you think it's gone now because I feel like there's a lot there's a lot of stuff out there saying about how you know carbs aren't the enemy anymore. You know, eat carbs. You know, smash them, enjoy them. You know, you need them for energy for performance stuff. But I feel like this might be a legacy thing that's just not gone away yet of people being scared of certain food and stuff, and you know, and not fueling correctly, as you said. Yeah, I think what happens is, I think you get this wave of really good information that we're talking about and people sort of know it and acknowledge it. And then you get some twat that comes along who looks a certain way and basically has got 100 million followers. And that's their credentials. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. it. And and then we lose it again. And so, you know, you, you as as practitioners and qualified practitioners you create this storm and you get the message out there and you start to see a little bit of change and then it all comes crashing down uh something me and bill have spoke about quite often is what is quite disappointing is like when we come from like a an evidence-based point of view is that it costs money uh a lot of time and yeah resources to actually look at evidence-based information but when it comes to things like so yeah, social media, etc. Misinformation is free, and it's just so readily available and digestible. And what you kind of said, like how you get like new grads, and they can go onto Instagram and make go onto Canva and whip up like a quick infographic, and it's just yeah, it's disappointing. It's it's a it's a losing battle, and it's so difficult, isn't it? Because I don't blame the general public for being yes, yeah. no. because they've yeah, got times a barrier, like exactly, and they've all but they've also got the. This person's got the qualification. They are a dietitian, or they are a nutritionist, or they are a doctor. Base value, whatever. yeah. And it's like, yeah, but there's levels of there's levels of qualification. I guess I suppose what I get frustrated is I know there's there's a lot of particularly there's a lot of medics on Instagram that um, are medics by trade in that they've done yeah. maybe they've they've done their basic qualification in medicine i'm not saying that's basic because but they try and branch out into something they're not hyper specialized in such yeah. as nutrition yeah but then but what happens is you kind of do a little bit of digging and you realize the reason why they've gone down the instagram route is because they failed their yeah. you know their first year exams or they haven't made it to the surgical rotation or they haven't you know they haven't they can't quite cut the fact that they're gonna have to do night shifts and this is me being a little bit bitchy i appreciate but it's the truth. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to be bitchy. It's, I kn- I've seen it, and I it's know. The harsh truth. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. You know, I appreciate I'm a lot older than a lot of these these individuals, but I have put the hard work in. I did do long days in the NHS. I was on the end of a bleeper for you know seven years of my life, where I was also called in at the weekends. We had to do on calls because mm. people are sick and they need they need support and. Yes, it's not as bad as it was. It was nowhere near as bad as being a junior doctor, but it wasn't. It wasn't plain sailing. Like you, you know, you learn a lot from that that work that you do. And even with working in sport, like you know, 
I've traveled a lot with the teams I work with. But it's not it's not glamorous. But you've spent time in the trenches. Yeah. But it's and and it's not it's, it's not fun. Sometimes you're rushing around trying to find someone a blinking toothbrush because they haven't packed one. Mm. And you know, you're in the middle of nowhere and your job is to go and find a toothbrush and you're like, I didn't come out here to buy a toothbrush. But you know, at the end of the day, it's very different when you've 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 lived and experienced that life compared to sort of just setting up a practice and and saying you're an expert and basically regurgitating what's out there in information or using other people's information to regurgitate, which is even worse. But that does happen too, as we all know. Yeah. I think I think it goes back to that whole we've spoken about this numerous times podcasts, how I think now as a society we're quite now, now, now. We want everything so quickly. There's no there's no patience, there's no willingness to we uh, don't take want a step the back. Nuance. We don't want the context no, no. of the subject. We want just right give now. me a dichotomous, yeah. you know, answer. Yeah. I want someone yeah. on TikTok to tell me, you know, the meaning of life in 20 seconds. You know, that's literally, that. that is that is how Just we are. Just to repeat what Rini said, and that is, you know, can't really blame the general population for that. No. You know, people want simple answers. And once again, I'm, I'm, imp- I'm empathetic for that, but the truth is that, so when we talk about things like eating disorders and, and weight and, uh, you know, obesity and our food environment, it is a, extremely complicated multifactorial you know subject to talk about i'm afraid it isn't as simple as just you know move more eat less move on to the uh, the final part of the show guys which can actually link to a couple of points you made i was going to jump in but i thought you know what i'll save it for these bits we've got some bonus questions really so okay. to- tom's got i'm not sure these are normally class of secret questions because sometimes we just go completely rogue with it i have no idea what but- they are so <laughs> so what i'm going to do is i'm going to throw a couple of points that some of our listeners sent in okay um, one of them is going to be uh, very interesting. It's quite entertaining, actually. Um, so let's get this up, shall we? So uh, one of them was, I, I just asked for a few people to sort of give their sort of biggest troubles they have in terms of nutrition. Okay, so I've showed a couple of ones here that seem quite good. Uh, the first one's a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a funny one. Someone said they struggle with biscuits and crisps. <laughs> that, that is, feel that pain. weren't me, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> who doesn't? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was you that time. It I mean, could have been me, but it weren't me. I have to avoid buying packs of biscuits because they are gone. They all get destroyed in about an hour. Like so Moorish. But yeah, I feel I feel your pain, Pete. I feel your pain, mate. Nightmare. Um <laughs> You just named him there and then. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's one of our patrons. He's funny, don't mind it. Yeah, he's funny. He doesn't mind it. He loves it. Uh, I know, I do. I think it's a really it's a good it's a good point. And I think mm. I mean, God, I'm a crisp fiend. So uh, I can't really Although what I find fascinating is I'm a crisp fiend when I'm in big training. So mm goes back to the fact that my body tends i'm i i am very in tune with my body and i will definitely regulate so when i'm in high volume training it definitely it needs more energy and i think there's a certain amount of energy i can get from my carbs my protein and my my fats and, and i think then it sort of it 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 definitely is demanding easy food you know conveniently yeah. and that is where i probably will eat a few more crisps and kind of maybe things that i shouldn't eat much. low volume density but high caloric you know exactly yeah, quick high energy snacks but when i'm not in full training when i'm not right re- when i'm not training for a big event if i'm just kind of you know just pootling with my running then i i don't crave that stuff as much i don't yeah you know i don't so sometimes i think when people find it difficult to not to, to you know when they're eating packs of biscuits or eating lots of crisps it's almost worth looking at well actually are you meeting your requirements like is that that's a that's a that's an actual legitimate question i would ask them 
Yeah. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're really active, you still feel pretty good. You know, you still consider yourself looking pretty good. What's the problem? There is no problem. You know, you just keep smashing your biscuits. Clearly, yeah. clearly your body wants them. You know, <laughs> keep going. Get them exactly. Down, yeah. That's what I'm saying. The biggest takeaway this week, guys, smash biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> Get the t-shirt. Um, this next one's really quite interesting, actually. So someone's put, getting micronutrients in, sometimes I go for quick, easy options, which are low in them. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that is something we have to be mindful of is that, you know, I'm not I'm not anti convenience foods. I think at the end of the day we live busy lives and I have no objection to using a pasta sauce or buying a take you know, buying a frozen pizza every now and again. And you know, I, I, I will be honest, if I'm buying a frozen pizza, I'll probably add loads of vegetables to it and I'll probably have it with a salad or whatever mm. and you know. So I have no issue with that. But I think one of the things we have to be careful about is that if we do continually eat sort of more convenience-based foods, then they may well be lacking in some of the micronutrients we need. You know, things like iron, things like calcium, things like vitamins E and, mm. and A and stuff. The, the, and the B vitamins as well, they can be quite difficult to get if you're not eating whole grains and you're not getting all the colours from the vegetables. So I think it is definitely a, a genuine problem. And I think, you know, we need those micronutrients. I think people ignore them because they think, well, they're micronutrients, don't need them. But we need them because they're, they're so involved in these biological processes that are going on within our body. So, mm. you know, and if we don't have enough iron, then we're going to feel pretty rough. If our vitamin D is low, we're going to feel like fatigued and, and we might have, you know, high susceptibility of, of illness and, and um, infections and things. So I, I guess... Ideally, yes, we'd like you to try and get your micronutrients through your diet and, and eat a bit more of a balanced diet where possible, but I know it's not always possible. Um, and I think that's where potentially supplementation might be needed. You know, mm. um, again, I, I'd always say food first. That's always my motto. Yeah. But there are always going to be situations where actually we do need supplementation. You know, as, as a vegetarian, I I supplement vitamin D, but I think we should all be doing that anyway. But I also supplement omega threes because I don't eat fish. So you know there are there are certain aspects I think of your diet you just have to look at and go. Well, I I can't get that in 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 the quantities I need it. So I'm gonna have to think about supplementation. But I don't think you need to supplement as an insurance policy. So a lot of no, people- I was. I was literally about to say that because we did an episode on um, multivitamins, and that's the one thing we said was there's a sort of a narrative people go with of oh pop one is like a safety net it's like my safety net if I've had one to start yeah. the day and got to, I can have just a, a kebab and a pint in the evening now and I ain't got to worry about anything else because I've had my multivitamin if you've got yeah. that approach don't, you know, that's not, that's a bit problematic but yeah. you know exactly. if you are if you are you know someone who's very busy and you've had like a you know three four ready meals in a day it's convenience maybe yeah, and you, at the end of the day you think oh okay maybe I could do with one yeah um, that kind of, but it shouldn't be your go-to mm. all the time I don't think <laughs> no exactly and I think you know it's also like I said mixing things up if you are it's not about making people feel bad about eating convenience meals or ready meals mm. it's about actually how can you how can you bulk that out to make it a little bit more nutritious yeah. for you that's you know you know I've been known to buy those sort of so-called fresh soups you know the ones that are in the tubs rather than in in a can and but i'll add frozen veg and i might add like tins of chickpeas and stuff to it so bulk it out to make it a little bit more nutritious so i think there's lots of little things you can do without having to be a gourmet cook um and and you know spend loads and loads of time in the kitchen which again is probably a lot of people's issue is time what i quite like about that actually is that's a rather than an avoidance approach 
it's like uh, you're actually adding something to it. So it's not like, oh, I'm avoiding a certain food. It's actually, no, no, I'm still having like my soup I've just grabbed off the shelf in Asda. I'm still having that. But I'm actually adding to it as well. So yeah, I quite like that actually. Usually when people think about like making more kind of nutritious choices, the first thing is like, oh, what can I stop eating? You know, or what can I replace with it? Actually, it's like, no, you can still have it, but you can add things to it. Even like the frozen pizza and adding like some extra veggies on there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Nice little approach goal. This next one, Rainy, is going to cause absolute mayhem. So oh, I was going to mention it because when you said earlier about, you know, certain people coming on and then they, you know, they've got millions of followers and then they change everyone's thoughts on how we should live and what we should eat. This link's quite nice, this one. So have you heard of someone called the Liver King? No, I haven't. <laughs> might, oh, wow. oh, I feel like, don't, don't please don't interact with this person. <laughs> you will lose your mind. So this link is basically someone sent in, they literally just sent in carnivore, discuss, and then they said 12 ounces of raw liver in the morning, what's going on? And there's a guy called Liver King, basically, who, um, as you can tell, he's a carnivore, but he's very, uh, how can I Far out very, yeah, very far out there. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go on there because you'll you'll lose lots of time there. But what are you, what are your thoughts? We've we've spoken about this before actually the carnivore diet. But what what are your thoughts? I, I mean, I think red meat gets a very bad press, and I don't think again we need to avoid it. But like any approach, if you just focus on one food group alone, you're going to miss out. It's going to displace other food groups that are necessary. So the problem with the carnivore approach is that it's not going to be particularly great for your gut microbiome because you're missing out on, you know, whole grains and legumes and vegetables and, you know, fiber. So I can't see how you're going to have a very healthy gut um, and that could be problematic in itself. And again, yes, potentially they're probably getting enough energy from what they're doing, but without the carbohydrate, you're potentially going to um, impact not just how your brain works, but also how um, a lot of your hormones work. So we know that there's some direct links between um, thyroid function and carbohydrate particularly. So if you do something for too long, then potentially, I'm not saying it will, but potentially it might be problematic. And again, it's something we touch in the book. I'm not for one minute saying that you can't have that approach but you need to be mindful that it might not be the right approach for you. And I think particularly when it comes to these sort of more higher protein, lower carb type options that are out there, they may be more suitable to men than they are to women. And, you know, uh, again, I'm not, I would not, I'm not advocating it at all, but I think it's, again, it's, it's really understanding that there is no one size fits all. So nobody should be really saying this is how you should eat because actually we don't have the right to do that fundamentally because we're all different. No, that's a really good point because like this goes back to something we spoke about earlier about the identity thing. I find the carnivore diet, especially bad, especially as liver king, it's this whole, our ancestors did this, this is how we should live. And, it, and it, you get that narrative that just constantly goes on and on and they... Some of the language. I mean, I, I I want to tell you to go have a look, but I don't want to tell you to have a look because it is it's very um... like the the appeal to nature and appeal to yeah, like appeal to nature ancestral yeah. you know behaviours etc. Yeah. But our ancestors also wow. didn't live. Yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> yeah. lucky to make it to thirty. <laughs> so you yeah. know, I think I think that's it. Like you have to. There's all there's a it might be what our ancestors did, but they weren't particularly healthy and they didn't live. So don't know something to think about. I mean, that is always like the thing that like puzzles me is like 
do these people like not realize like the age the lifespan of like our ancestors <laughs> it's crazy yeah, exactly but no, remember it's sugar that's killing us yeah why not <laughs> yeah exactly. sugar yeah no sugar guys yeah there you go carnival we did do an episode on that actually quite a while ago but um yeah very very uh almost a diplomatic uh response there Rini. i think you've got to be in 2022 oh yeah you know the carnival our emails will just be uh, inundated with just hate like you can't say that you know we've already caught some flack for seed oils so yeah (laughs) oh god yeah seed oils let's not go into that again oh no okay then so i think we'll leave it there really um before we do sign off the week though where where can people find you and more importantly where can they where can they grab hold of this book i mean i know where i got mine i got it from audible yeah, but it's actually very good. Well, you actually read it yourself, don't you? You read I the book. I do. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I mean, I'm. I always think, God, does anyone really want to listen to you five hours? But you obviously did. So yeah, um, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So I am. I have a website which is reallymcgregor.com. Nice and easy. Um, I do have an Instagram account, and it is an education platform. So very much all my content out there. So it's r underscore McGregor. Um, and the book can be bought. Um amazon but also on adventure books and audible as you said and it comes in all three formats i believe so um an actual book an audio and also an um an ebook so um whichever people prefer the option of is available yeah, sure awesome. we'll, have, um, we'll, have, we'll have links for that down in the uh, show notes guys so make sure you check it out for like, easy access uh, to all that good content um it's been really great having you on it's been really good in- really interesting conversation mm. hopefully it's, it's helped people out and if i have got any more burning questions before you ask us before you send us a message read the book yes uh, i'm sure i'm sure that will answer some of <laughs> yeah. those questions you know I'm really all, I'm no, thank thinking... you so much for having me it's been really fun so no um, i really enjoyed it mm, it's been an absolute no pleasure really pleasure as always uh, and we'll see you on the next one yeah see you later everyone take care bye, bye. As always, thanks for listening. As I said at the start, guys, hope you enjoyed that. And if you did, please give it a share as sharing is caring. If you are interested in grabbing a copy of Rini's brand new book, More Fuel You, make sure to check out the show notes below as we'll have links to it in multiple formats. I'd personally recommend the audiobook so that if you're out and about, walking, etc., you can just have it on in the background, much like you probably do with this podcast. We will see you next week, same time, same place, for a brand new episode. See you soon.